we are closing up our Aerosmith series. And if this is your first time with us, no, it's not the band. I'm not going to do my best Steven Tyler impersonation because uh, it doesn't come off as Steven Tyler. So, and, um, so uh, but um, this is a different kind of made-up word, Aerosmith. Everybody knows that I like to make up words sometimes, like noticer and different stuff like that. Um, but this is the concept of something being crafted. A smith is someone who makes something. And we as a church, we as believers, as parents, as grandparents, as aunts and uncles, as just people who have, <coughs> have learned anything from God, then we have a responsibility to impact the next generation. And we are all called to be aerosmiths. Let's get in, go ahead and get into our notes. See, God's plan has always been for his love to cascade from one generation to the next. This is the fifth time we've looked at this concept. Why? Because if we'll really get excited about that thing, the rest of it falls in place. If we understand, we cannot be a dead end. The gospel made it thousands of years and thousands of miles to you. We are here today. Two millennia later, talking about something that happened on the other side of the planet that forever impacted you and I and every human. And it traveled all that distance and all that time to us. And we want to make sure that it doesn't stop there, that we move it forward. Our whole concept of Aerosmith is this. is Psalms 127, 3 through 5. Children are a heritage from the Lord. I love in, in here that we've got kids. I love we've got grandbabies sitting on grandmama's lap. I love that we have kids in the next theater learning. I love that we've got our nursery program where they're not just being watched, they're being poured into, and they're being taught and prayed for. That that is what this is about. In fact, from day one at Celebration Church, we wanted it to be a place where the parents could come while the kids were mentored and grown. Mom, there's some place that mom and dad can come and, and hang out and maybe learn something too. It's not that our children's ministry is an offshoot of something, let's, let's get the kids out of here so that we can have real church. No, I believe real church is happening next door. And you and I are trying to play catch up. Because they've got their whole lives ahead of them. And you and I are trying to, to make a difference with what we have <coughs> ahead of us. The children are heritage from the Lord, an offspring of reward from him like arrows in the hands of a warrior. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name as one reference to God. We want our children to be in the hands of God for him to launch them to hit the mark. Our children, born in one's youth, blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Again, we want our, that quiver, this church, our lives, to be full of kids in the hands of God. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents at the gate. See, as we look at this concept of parenting or discipleship, and we've kind of woven these two concepts together because they're really the same concept. Parents have these little kids with their DNA or they've adopted into their family or however they brought them into their household, that they have a daily responsibility to parent them. Ultimately, believe that's discipleship. Well, then as a church, we're a family, and so we have to look at the kids, and it's the same role, it's the same <coughs> responsibility. And parenting and discipleship 
is about guiding through the maturing process. That they're growing up, and we want to help them get through that, to give them guidance. And initially, it's really tight. You know, we tell you, you have the little playpen in your living room, and you have your little ones sitting in there because they, they don't know what not to touch. So the boundaries are really tight. And then they begin to understand and respond to no, and then they throw it back in your face. No, no, no. And then all of a sudden, they begin to get a little more mature, and you're able to take them out of the playpen and give them verbal boundaries and, 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 and use some discipline tactics and, and be able to do that. And then pretty soon, they grow up, and you're able to let them go down the block to a, a, somebody you trust home. And then you're able to give them a little more boundaries, and you give them the keys to the car. And you hope they don't mess up the whole community. And so, and then you give them a little more boundaries, and eventually you turn them loose on the world. Amen. And, <laughs> <laughs> yes, Rosie, amen. The, um, and that's the whole point, is for them to go and to mature, and for them eventually to be out on their own. And it's a process. It's a process. Our kids, whenever they turn 13, then we begin a purposeful process. It's 13 an adult by no means. But guess what? They're going to be one day. So we've chosen that, okay, on your 13th birthday, we are going to begin to put childish things away and to become an adult. Started that with our oldest son, Keenan, then Brooklyn, Weston, and now it's Lulu's turn. She, her birthday is coming up in just a couple of days, and we'll have a big party, and She's been doing her reading stuff and some interviews and getting ready for this thing. And the, the thing is, is we look at this like a little sapling. You know, you can see a little sapling tree and it's just growing and it's, it's kind of bending and it almost looks like you could go and just pull it up. You can't if you've ever tried. But it looks like it's just a little wimpy thing. And then one day you come back years later and you're like, it's a tree. Now what day was it a tree? I don't know. Sometimes it's hard to tell, but at some point, it went from being this little sapling to this standalone mature tree, and it begins to produce fruit, whether it's pecans or whatever. And it begins to do its thing, and that process carries on. Well, if we don't begin to make this purposeful motion, say one day, it's not today, but one day you're going to be mature on your own. As parents, we won't be engaged in the process and embrace these beautiful moments of maturity. We won't do it as a church either. You say, are those, are those young girls over there ready to lead worship and be in front? I don't know. Maybe not. But one day we're going to look over there and go, man, they're just tearing it up. Yeah. They do a great job. And one day it's going to look up and be like, absolutely, that's where they belong. But we never know. Until we begin the process. Until we do it. We have to be willing to do the process. And we want, as a church, we want this concept. And when you go through our newcomers class, I've used this, this term called muzzle velocity. Okay? If you're a gunhead, you understand what that means. Okay? That's the speed of the bullet when it reaches the end of the muzzle. Okay? And so it comes out, and then what it does, is there still a muzzle guiding it all the way to its destination? No. You don't go deer hunting and run up and put the gun to its head, or sorry, put it up to its little kill zone. Sounds nicer. 
<laughs> and bleep, no. At some point, that bullet's all by itself in the air, just a split second, and then it, ooh, it hits its mark. Well, what makes it do that? The guide that was there early on and the velocity that's carrying it so it keeps its trajectory. The faster that bullet flies, the straighter it goes and the further it can reach. We want our kids to reach muzzle velocity. I saw the absolute pitifulness on a real example years ago. Now, this is opening day of, of hunting season. There's little birds dying everywhere right now. And so it's uh, dove season. And um, so, which is, if that can't, that, I'm not a big dove hunter, it's fine, but there, uh, it always gets me geared up for deer hunting. And if you don't like deer hunting, then I'm sorry. And so, and, um, but my first deer hunting experience, I not got to go deer hunting, and I just like, was like, I want to hunt all the time. I got one little doe, and then I just like, I want to hunt all the time. Well, then I ran out of hunting season that year, and there's this little window of time called muzzleloader season, right at the end, where all you can use is a muzzleloader, where I borrowed this gun that looked like it was handed down from Davy Crockett. So it was this old school wooden gun, and you had to pack the powder in, and put, smash the ball down in there, and put the little cap on, and you hit it, it kind of was a delayed reaction, it was, it was this cool concept. And uh, the guy told me that, okay, you want to make sure that you leave some oil in the barrel so it doesn't rust out. So I thought he said, leave the oil in the barrel, not some oil in the barrel. So I go out, test fire, learn it. I leave the oil in the barrel. I finally get my moment. Go to the hill country. It's cold. Muzzleloader season's in January. It was cold. And I'm up in this little Stand. I'm not in a blind like this little box with a heater and like a TV to watch and stuff like some hunters. And so like I'm like out in the open up in a cedar bush and there's these deer coming in and my little muzzleloader doesn't have much reach. And I'm so excited I'm going to give me a deer with this old school gun. And of course my, everything's cold and my allergies lit up with the cedar bush and my nose starts to run. And I was so hardcore, this is gross, but I just let it drip. Oh. <laughs> if I sniff, that deer's going to run. I'm just like, oh my God, I don't care. My wife's not here. And so I'm just sitting there. Finally, I get my moment. Deer shows up. And all I get is a killer cap gun. Beep. Nothing happens. Deer look up, see me. They're out of here like snot monster. And I, they just run away. And, and so they just go. And, man, I'm so ticked. And I have this gun. I'm like, what happened? And there's, so there's the oil in it. And I, the ball's stuck in the bottom. And so finally I'm trying to get this thing out. I got a, it's a borrowed gun. And finally I take it apart from the back. Put a little bitty few grains of powder in the back end of it. There's all this goop from oil and goat powder being mixed up. And there's all this goop in there, and I dig it out, put a little bit of grain, put it back, and put a firing cap. And I'm standing, and I'm shooting from about here to that, to that speaker. Okay? So I'm going to shoot this gun. And I put this in, and I go, boom! And I'm telling you, you could see the ball fly. It was just enough that it, like, coughed the ball out. <laughs> and the ball comes out, and I'm aiming, like, to hit the speaker, and it hits the base 
of the tree, like at the dirt, and just go, <laughs> and then there it was. It's the most pathetic thing. I mean, somebody could have been standing there with a bat and like hit it. And I'm like, play the new game. It was, it was so slow. But what happened is, is that gun was supposed to be able to reach out and, and do something powerful and awesome, but because it didn't have that stuff, the charge behind it, it just it didn't make it. Us as a church, we need to get excited, and we need to be ready. And so many times we want to rein in and pull back the power and pull back the enthusiasm about letting our kids go and letting them do it. And go, man, let's just, no, 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 no. We want to rein it back, and then we wonder why they go, poop. And why they're not making the impact on the world. I'm telling you, let's just put a double powder in the back of this thing. Let's just get this thing rocking and rolling, and let's launch our kids. Now, we were visiting with a guy who's the head point man out of Big Lake. And one of the things that just excites him is we have a crew of kids that load up, drive to Big Lake on Sunday nights, and do youth there for the youth in Big Lake. And he says that he loves to see the passion and commitment in our team's eyes. That they walk in, and they just get, they're just so fired up. And he said, I, I said you just don't see young people like that. That they own the ministry and they get pumped about it. I love being around that. That's what we have to do. It's about helping them hit the maturing process. So quickly, we're going to look at some roadblocks to maturity. <clears throat> the roadblocks to maturity, we're going to take them right out. Because maturity is going to, it's when we produce the fruit we were designed to produce. And there are three roadblocks. The first one is life's worry. Life's worries will choke us down, choke you and I down, and will choke our young people down, and we've got to help them to not get wrapped up in this. You know our young people carry way more stress level than we did when we were in high school, that there are so many young people under 18 years old that are on anti-anxiety medicine, 14, 15, 12-year-olds having panic attacks, these are young people who are supposed to be full loose and carefree and just enjoying life. And somehow the pressures of life have already bogged them down. We cannot let that happen. The worries of life focus on just stuff. That will destroy our fruitfulness, destroy our maturity. And then simply purposing to simply have fun. Like, how is that? God's called us to be joyful. There's a difference between living a mature, joyful life and being wrapped up in childish games and childish things to simply pass the time and have fun. It will squash your maturity. Let's look at this. You're like, where did you get these? Let's look at Luke chapter 8. This is where the seed gets thrown out. Jesus tells the parable of the sower. It says, those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it. But they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the times of testing they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those that hear. But as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. <clears throat> Years ago when I would read this parable, I was always... You know, the first seed gets gobbled up by the birds. The second one grows and falls away. The third one produces no fruit. And the last one produces like crazy. And I always saw it as three dead plants and one living plant. But this one, the plant's alive. 
says it's alive. It's just not producing any fruit. So what's the thing? Is remove the thorns and the stuff that's choking it, and it'll produce the fruit. And what is that? It's all of those different things. But the seed that fell on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word and retain it, and by <clears throat> preserving, produce a crop. I love the way the message translation puts verse 14. It says, the seed that fell in the weeds, well, these are the ones who hear, but when the seed is crowded out and nothing comes of it, as they go about their lives worrying about tomorrow and making money, Part of it is, is we have to help our kids to mature, to help them to, there we go, part of it, folks, we're in a movie theater, um, to help them to live a life from passing their tears on to God because he cares for them, to be able to not get wrapped up in simply <clears throat> focused on stuff and acquiring and to not wrapped up and simply wanting to be entertained. We are called to more than to simply be entertained. Sadly, our culture has more entertainment than it ever has, and you ask people, and they, they have a lower sense of purpose and meaning than any generation in America ever. Why? Because we're not wired to be entertained. We're wired to produce. We're wired to make a difference. Do we have a problem with entertainment? No. With enjoyment? No. But those things ought to come out of what we're called to do. So let's look at that. What do we want our mature children and disciples to be able to do? The first one is to stand firm in the will of God. Colossians 4.12, <clears throat> Paul is writing, he says, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends his greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer with you that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. The Word tells us that those that are double-minded are unstable in all their ways. It's because they haven't figured out and been able to discern what the will of God is. And they're like, is it this? Is it this? Is it this? And the, that scripture goes on to say that person shouldn't think they're going to receive anything from God. And they're talking about believers here because they're just all over the place. They're not mature and they're just all over the place. Ephesians 5 says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. That's why God has given us the Holy Spirit. That we don't have to bump through life and hope that just the best comes of it. He's called, he's given us his Holy Spirit so we can march courageously through life, following his voice, and <clears throat> lead, live the life God's called us to live. Matthew 16 says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders. This is not fun stuff the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. He is telling his crew the whole plan. This is it. He's laying it out completely. Whenever this whole thing happens, it wasn't like they were totally clueless. But when it goes down, they act like they're totally clueless. He's been telling them the whole time. And then Peter, oh, smart Peter, got to have his little moment. Jesus, 
know you're like God. I'm going to take you aside, and we're going to have to have a little talk. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. <sighs> Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke Jesus. He began to let him have it. Took him with a little old verbal woodshed experience with Jesus. No. And Jesus turned to him and said, in such sweet, awesome Jesus manner, get behind me, Satan. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be equated with Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You are getting in the way of where I'm going. You do not have in mind the concerns of God but merely human concern. Is it a terrible thing for Peter to not want Jesus to die and to suffer? That's not a terrible thing. To want to not want somebody you care about to die and to suffer. But he didn't have the big picture of what that suffering and death and resurrection was going to do for the whole planet. So he wasn't looking at it through God's eyes. He was looking at it through merely human's eyes and coming up with the wrong conclusion. Peter was not mature. 1 Corinthians 2.15 The person with the Spirit makes judgment about all things. Who has the Spirit? You and I who are believers receive the Holy Spirit. Makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to to merely human judgment. We get to walk above all of the clatter and all the different stuff that, that just comes from looking at things from a worldly perspective. For who has the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? Apparently Peter thought he did. <clears throat> says, but we have the mind of Christ. We get to walk in a different way. The next thing we have that we want our mature disciples are mature children to be able to do is to distinguish from good and evil. You're like, this sounds pretty basic. It does sound pretty basic, but it's, this is the hardcore parts of life. Let's go ahead and look at Hebrews chapter 5. It says, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have been following Christ long enough, you ought to be teaching them. That's a pretty good little rebuke there. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. What is the wise thing here to do, and what is the unwise thing here to do? You're like, well, aren't there a list of rules to be able to do that? No. No. The people that killed Jesus were, thought they were following the rules perfectly. He gave us the Holy Spirit so that we could discern. You're like, what's the difference between knowing the difference between good and evil? Because we already are accustomed to knowing good and evil. We have to know the difference. Genesis 3. For God knows that when you eat from the tree, this is back in the Garden of Eden, and eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing 
good and evil. <clears throat> Knowing good and evil. That's not enough. That gets you in trouble. You may equate them. You may call one the other. You need to be able to know the difference. It says that when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. Right there. She didn't have to go hunting him down. Honey, guess what? Guess what I found? Everybody always blames Eve like she was off by herself on a little stroll. Adam's there and quiet. That was what he did. That was it. See, she also gave to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Again, they were naked the whole time. Their minds were flooded with the evil use of the naked form. There's nothing wrong with the naked form in the, where it was. They're the only two people on the whole planet in their marriage. They just go wherever they want to naked. It's no problem. That's not a problem. But all of a sudden their minds are open. And it's not because of anybody else on the planet or their influence. It's simply their minds. You have to be able to know the difference between good and evil. And we need to help our children mature in being able to discern between good and evil. If we just keep the boundaries wrong, that's why you have kids who are raised up in good little homes. And they're kept on these super strict boundaries. And they go off to college and they go crazy. Why? Because they were never taught to discern, discern the difference between good and evil. Mom and dad told them what was good and what was evil, and they were expected to comply. Mom and dad didn't give them the principles and say, okay, what are your thoughts on this? And sometimes they're going to get it wrong. And that's why we go, no, this is why this is helpful. This is why this is destructive. This is why we need to go in this direction. So that when they're on their own, they can do it on their own. And the last thing we need to <clears throat> help them to grow in, and that God's growing us in, is to keep moving forward in God. One of the worst things that can happen in our process to maturity is to stop. Amen. It's called stunted growth. Amen. And guess what? Just because the clock ticked, the calendar flipped, doesn't mean you're maturing. You can stop right where you are. Philippians 3, 13 through 15 says, Brothers and sisters, do not, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. This is Paul. He is penning scripture as he says this. <laughs> He's like in the flow with the Holy Spirit. You don't know he's penning scripture, but he is. But this is his mentality. He's writing the Bible. And he says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Man, I'm a rock star in Jesus, and that's why I'm writing the Bible at this very minute. This is really good stuff. Amen. No, he's, he's just has a heart for God. He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, what's behind everything that's already happened, the wins, the losses, all of it, not camping out at the last great thing that took place in your life or getting drugged down by the last time you fell on your face. 
Forgetting what's behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. What's the mature view? To throw off the stuff in the past and just keep pursuing Jesus. Don't let anything you've ever accomplished in Christ try to define you in your relationship with God. Just keep moving to Him. It's about the pursuit. It's about the pursuit. That is what we want our kids to do. That is what we want this next generation to do. We want them so pumped that, man, we look up and they're just moving forward and they're doing things we never dreamed were even possible because they're connected with the Word of God. At some point, they're probably going to discern some good and evil, and they're going to bring some correction to us because we had some blinders on, and there were some things that were unhealthy in our lives. And thank goodness that that is what's going on in the church. People say, how can you call yourself a believer in some of the embarrassing, terrible things that the church has done? Just rolling back a few decades in the horrible segregation in church that people would don Ku Klux Klan masks on Saturday night and line the church pews the next morning all across the South. Doesn't that make you want to throw up? Absolutely. You know what makes me so excited is that there was a next generation that told their parents that is wrong and that is not representing Christ. And things changed because somebody discerned the difference between good and evil and spoke up about it. And the atrocities that sadly people on the name of Christ have been a part of have been corrected and are still being corrected to this day as the next generation rises up and grows in their knowledge of between good and evil and says, this is life-giving and this is not life-giving and we as a people need to go this direction. That's what we want for us and that's what we want for our children. And that's what this has to be about. We want to release them, not hold on to them, not keep them around forever, but release them and watch them soar. I love what the great German scholar, writer, <coughs> Johann Wolfgang Goethe, says, says, there's only two lasting bequests we can hope to give our children. One of these is roots, which is what we've been talking about all up until him now. And he said the other is wings. And with those two, they can go and do what they're called to do in Christ. See, we must choose to embrace the assignment to help the next generation to know God better and to trust Him more. That's what this is. That's what maturity in Christ is about, is knowing it better and trusting Him more. It's it all boils down to that. So this morning, this morning, Let's have our minds focused on what God wants to do in our individual life. First off, let's just take a quiet moment and say, God, are there any of these roadblocks that are blocking me from maturing? Am I being held back by my own worry? Am I being held back by my, by my own pursuit of stuff? Am I being held back by simply the things that I want to add to my life simply for my own pleasure. 
God, if there's anything that needs to be pruned or trimmed or redirected, God, speak, because I don't want those things choking my maturity. God, I thank you, Lord, that you're speaking to our heart. Your sweet, sweet voice of correction. Pointing us where life exists, the way forward. And Lord, if there's any of these things that we as a, as a body need to do, Heavenly Father, we're able to stand firm in your will, to know the difference between what is life-giving and what takes away life. Lord, and to be able to pursue and move forward with you in an intensity. God, right now, just as we just want to lift up our young people, Heavenly Father. Lord, we pray for our teens, Heavenly Father. We pray for our children. Lord, we pray for those little ones even crawling around in the nursery right now. Lord, as we wrap this series up, we just want to say we're taking this serious, God. Don't let this just be a check mark of another series done, Heavenly Father. Let this be a milestone moment in who we are as a people. That sets an anchor stone, Heavenly Father, that sets this place. Lord, we can build off of that we will be about making disciples and parenting our children and, and helping them to flourish in you. God, we, we know we need your help. It's by your Holy Spirit that you empower them. And God, we thank you. We thank you for walking us every step of the way. Oh, in Jesus' name. While there's still a quietness here, if you say, Brandon, I'm on the outside looking in on this. I have no assurance that I'm in right place with God. And you can easily be assured that it's found in, in what Jesus did. Jesus' death covered our debt. His life is where we find life. By placing our faith in him. By making him Lord in our lives. That's what makes the difference. So if you're here this morning and you want to do that, we just want to pray with you. So if that's you, just lift your hand. Say, Brandon, I want to place my faith in Christ this morning. Awesome. 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 I'm going to lend you some words. You make them your own. Believers, raise your voices with them. Say, Heavenly Father. I thank you for sending Jesus. I thank you that he died for me. His death covered my sin. And makes me right with you. Not based on anything I've done. But on what Jesus did. Today I am your child. And you're going to grow me. From the inside out. I thank you for new life. And that today heaven is my home. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yes. Yes. If that was you today, we've, we've got the Ramirez's, we've got Mitzi over here, and um, we've got resources that we can be able to put into your hands. If you need prayer for anything at all, we want to be able to pray with you. So if you can ask them, they'll be able to pray with you. Let's just stand up and uh, go out of here this morning. Uh, remember that next week 
is, uh, is our Bring a Friend Sunday. We're going to have a big push, kicking off a new series. I believe it's going to be super impactful for all of us as we choose to go all in with everything God has for us. We also have men's and women's lunches this week on Tuesday. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the fresh life that we have in you. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that life is different after you enter it, Heavenly Father, and it continues to change as we move forward with you. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your freshness, Heavenly Father, that gives us awesome new life every day. Lord, we just, we just bless your name. Thank you for going with us. In Jesus' name, amen.